When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Time then for the traditional, nay legendary, Autosport Season Review two-parter. We've been doing this for years, and now the Formula One season is done and dusted. We like to look back and try to understand... What the hell just happened? With the benefit of hindsight as well. We ask why so many people rated this season as the best in many years. And clearly not only because the title wasn't decided until the last lap of the last race. I mean, there are some people who think this kind of Netflix-style finish might have even been one of the low points. But that probably depends on whether your choice of F1 merch has a 33 or 44 on it. But with both the proximity effect or the proximity bias being a very real thing, as in people only remember what is the most recent thing, and people's sense of F1 maybe being a bit rocked by the events of what happened, Max Verstappen fans, of course, being delighted, and actually confirmation bias being a very real thing on social media as well. The sports fans have never been more divided if you're a Lewis or a Max fan in many ways. I suspect our two experts today have a lot to say on the matter. First up is Autosport's Grand Prix editor. It's Alex Kalinorkis. Welcome along, Alex. Uh, so what have you been doing with yourself between Abu Dhabi ending and today, which is, as we're recording, two days before Christmas? Hello, Martin. Well, um, two things. One, travelling back from Abu Dhabi after getting one hour sleep, having gone all the way through the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix report for the magazine. And then, um, obviously, we've got our top 50 uh, our drivers of the year in that issue as well. So that was all uh, that made for quite a hectic weekend in Abu Dhabi. And then, yeah, we've just been we've just been writing solidly season review things. Uh, obviously, with the shadow of everything getting much worse in the UK in terms of the COVID outlooks, that's been that's been joyful. But it's actually been quite a nice uh, quite a nice distraction, to be perfectly honest. So, uh, so yeah, just getting everything. 
everything in line uh, with the final magazines of uh, 2021, you know, helping uh, um, your next guest that you're about to introduce. Uh, with, he's been putting the, the news list together for autosport.com. Luke Smith is Autosport's F1 reporter. Can you look forward like Alex to a bit of a break now? Uh, yes, hopefully. Uh, yeah, good morning, Martin. Uh, good morning, Alex. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to quieten down a little bit now. It's been quite hectic into the season. Uh, as Alex said, I've already been sort of writing the pieces you're going to see on autosport.com over the winter. And I filed one for January yesterday and I was talking about 2022 as this year. And that to me was quite strange, but also very, very exciting because I think F1 is going into such an exciting year next year with the new rule set, with the driver changes. Uh, obviously, we're going to look back throughout this podcast on the season that has been how amazing 2021 has been but yeah I think that I think similar to Alex similar to a lot of people yeah just looking forward to a bit of uh, downtime because it has been a very long very brutal season 22 races uh, everyone's longest ever uh, I think I've got a couple of weeks off at the end of January so again like it's a case of we'll be in lockdown am I going to be able to go on holiday anywhere am I just going to spend time getting good at Gran Turismo I don't know but um, either way uh, yeah it's been it's been a long old year but thoroughly looking forward to uh, yeah some Christmas uh, time off and to try and recuperate from a very busy year. So this first part of our season review, we're going to split it into two parts, really. This first part, we're going to look back at the year we've had. And there'll be some races we talk a lot about and some we don't take talk so much about. But we're going to go back as far as pre-season testing. Cast your minds back. No redesigned cars, which was the plan, but rather 2020 B-Spec cars and a token system for updates. Alex, uh, we'll start with you. If your, if your brain cells go back, uh, you know, as far as pre-season testing after the insane year we've had. What were you, as you were coming out of that, what were your feelings about the form? We knew that there were rule changes, as you say, not, not, not car redesigns, but there were minor tweaks. And I remember looking back at a magazine, I think we opened the year with in January, not the very first one, but one of the, one of the early ones, basically saying, could could these various factors top all Mercedes? I think one of them was uh, Lewis Hamilton's new contract. Is he ever going to get one? But obviously that turned out to be a complete non-issue. Um, but there was one which was, are these aero rules going to gonna really harm Mercedes? And, and they were, uh, I think James Allison's quoted in that saying, yeah, this is the, the, the biggest single factor. But at the time you're like, well, they're so small, really, you know, what's going to happen? And Mercedes were off the pace and looking bad and the car didn't handle, like it was going to handle very well and things like that. Just rear end instability, testing. It, it was a shock that, you know, they've had disrupted tests before, mainly with reliability and, you know, there was that year where Ferrari genuinely were quicker in testing and, you know, did have that quick package throughout the year. I think what was that, 20, 2018? Uh, yeah. With Mercedes, I think what's really interesting now is, is first of all, the team maintains that actually things were closer than they looked in testing and that bore out throughout the season. But looking back even further to when the rule changes came in, I think judging, you know, if we read between the lines of what Toto Wolff has been saying, um, come the end of the year, you know, when pe- teams are a bit more open about, you know, the you know things that happen in the year just gone, how big the impact was. I think, I think you know, he sort of downplays it and says, oh, you know, we... You know, we we just didn't think it was going to be as as as, as impactful as it was. The rear floor changes, um, but also the more interesting thing was basically I think they just slightly underestimated their own not skills and ambitions, but I mean sort of I just think they they thought they could handle it. They think I think they knew pretty much instantly what the impact was going to be and it was going to hurt them and Aston Martin and those low rate cars, low rate car concepts more than the high rate cars and the Red Bull. But I think Mercedes generally thought actually okay, fine, we'll take this. 
but we can handle it. And they just got it ever so slightly wrong. But my goodness, did they respond well, Mercedes, even in the two weeks between the Bahrain test and the first race when they were when they were right there with Red Bull, they were off the pace as they were throughout the year. Um, various factors mean that I think both sides are saying, oh, well, actually Mercedes had the fastest car over the course of the year. Don't think that's true because Max Verstappen not only gets the most pole positions in the year, he also gave away several pole positions and was stopped from getting several pole positions by circumstances. For example, Charles Leclerc in Monaco. So if Red Bull had the faster package, Mercedes definitely at times, you know, with those fresher engines they put in, yeah, they did have quick cars. But in terms of the, the, the fundamental base cars, I think that Red, Red Bull was quicker. So coming out of testing, the feeling was, sorry to go back to your original question, we finally got a championship battle and, and it came to pass and how brilliant it was. Yeah, well, I mean, it was 2019, certainly, when we copped a fair bit of stick at Autosport uh, with your predecessors, uh, Ed and uh, the team that uh, we, we pretty much called it as Ferrari being quickest uh, that year and uh, uh, for very good reasons. Um, but uh, but yeah, Luke, on pre-season testing, um, are we learning enough from pre-season testing to get a steer car launches are now a given that we'll learn very little from them but even testing everyone kind of turned up with some pretty kind of rudimentary flaws and things like that do you think we can still get a steer from what we see in testing luke i think it gives you some kind of read on the season i think that yeah we saw mercedes we saw aston martin i think in particular we saw how much they were struggling um compared to what they'd done uh, last year and obviously yeah the lower lower rate concept it was really hurting uh, after these uh, downforce cuts. So so I think that, yeah, you could get a read on that. I think you could also see just how much Ferrari had taken a step forward as well. I mean, it's, it was hard to be much worse than they were in 2020, but it was, yeah, at least the signs were that, okay, it's a decent step forward. But I think, yeah, this year's preseason, in fact, it was only three days as well. We were sort of operating in such weird circumstances uh, with the, the pandemic really sort of still still at its height. I think we were, we were in lockdown in the UK at that time. Um, yeah, I think it was... Uh, it was a it's always difficult in testing and like even talking to team principals and drivers about okay 2022 coming when are we going to get an idea of the pecking order all of them keep saying not until the first race like what you see in testing take it with a pinch of salt and i think that yeah we've seen that in in previous years i mean i remember 2019 um I wasn't working with Autosport at the time, but where I was, we had exactly the same conclusion. Yeah, all of the signs said, oh, Ferrari are quickest. And uh, in the end, it was, uh, no, Mercedes really came out swinging that year. So I think that, yeah, you've always got to take it with a pinch of salt um, for pre-season testing. I don't envy uh, Alex's job to say who won testing and to rank the teams uh, after pre-season testing. Um, and uh, yeah, I do wonder, like, I, have, you, have you done that, Alex? Have you sort of compared what your ranking was and what the final season order was? I think in terms of the front two, it was fine. Okay. Red Bull, Red Bull edging Mercedes. Yeah. Um, I dread to think about the rest of it. Obviously, <laughs> um, I think Alpine probably did worse than I might have predicted them. But I haven't, I, to be honest, I haven't actually read it back. Okay. Um, but I think, uh, just going back on that, I think this year I arranged it in such a way that I managed to log every single lap oh, of yeah, every of single team. Yeah. I'm not doing that again because <laughs> I, even with all of that data, it still didn't help. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a new, we're going to have a new format for 2022. Well, not a new format, but a new formula in nice. terms of the way those features come together. But anyway. <laughs> All right, Luke, we'll stay with you as we kick off the season. 28th of March, uh, Bahrain. It was all very civilised. Uh, civilised? Civilised. V- v- Verstappen, as well as going for. Uh, Verstappen <laughs> passed Lewis off track, gave the place back, all very gentlemanly, all very civilised. And it kind of ended a bit as you were, really. Lewis won the race from Max, seven-tenths odd behind. Valtteri was about another 30 seconds 
back. So, Lucas, you cast your mind back to the first race of the season. What conclusions were you coming away from Bahrain with? I think it was just a taste of the season to follow, really, wasn't it? Even with the on-track drama of, oh, should I give the place back or not? And that, that fight for the lead. But I think it did... It lived up to all of our hopes and expectations that it would be a fight between Max and Lewis, Mercedes and Red Bull this season. I think that we saw that play out perfectly. It was, yeah, that Red Bull probably had a bit of a pace advantage that day. But on uh, on strategy and things, the team sort of both went in slightly different directions and it led to that brilliant, brilliant finish. Um, yeah, and it was maybe sort of a, a taste of the controversy to come. But it was, as you say, all very peaceful and cordial and it was the Red Bull were a little bit aggrieved so I got to jump in there I, I disagree I don't think it was I think I think well I mean it was it was it was more cordial than yeah probably ended gosh the year. this season's Let's probably that wiped way. it completely but yeah it's, well, it's, it's just it's the in-season argument over track limits which boiled over massively yeah. on social media as well needlessly obviously because social media social media was ridiculous but yeah I think I think Mercedes when right well they're not enfor- they're enforcing it in qualifying but in the race we can do what we like at that turn four corner where Verstappen ends up so they were just like right Lewis you just use all the track there and he did Rebel were like hang on what's going on here and they complained to Michael Massey and then then Verstappen ends up getting caught by that and yeah so I think uh, that it just showed you I mean okay it probably was a bit nicer yeah. than how things ended up but it just showed you the lengths that they were willing to go to and how they were gonna not yeah, I guess just like trade blows and undermine each other with the officials. I think it was, yeah, it was a, look, I guess maybe I'm probably being a bit revisionist and looking back on things now, but it, I just thought it was fascinating that they were going to have a massive argument over that little thing there. Was that the pre-Massy <laughs> radio calls being publicly broadcast as well? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I can't remember what race that, that first came in for, but I do, because uh, there's, a, there's a hilarious bit in the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, for some ridiculous reason, I was watching that back the other day. God, what, well, how a, what a wonderful life I live. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. At first, there were two things. One, there was Valtteri Bottas. I've, sorry, I've, I've come to Spain way before, a couple of races before we get there, Martin. There's Valtteri Bottas hilariously and needlessly holding up Lewis Hamilton for no obvious reason as Hamilton's coming back through on his charge, which I just thought, first of all, was funny and, and pretty poor from Valtteri. Um, yeah, but also, with the, the, in in that almost very similar at very similar stage of the race, Toto Wolf, you hear him talking to Michael Massey about Nikita Mazepin being like, "This guy makes us lose the race." Oh, yeah. Obviously, there was there was no danger of that happening at all. But it's just amusing to hear the to hear the call. Uh, God, that, thinking back to that first race, that was when uh, Sergio Perez uh, broke down on the first lap. First, yeah. pre, pre-start drama, uh, which kind of did tip the season that was coming, really. And he had to like he took his steering wheel off. He did that. He did That's like right. the ultimate turn it off and turn it on again. I think it was just he was like, right, I've turned it off now. I'm just going to put the steering wheel back on and see what happens. And somehow the car kicked into life again, and he was able to join the race. So let's move on to Imola was next uh, with Max's first win. Alex, we'll come to you first because you've watched all these races or you've written about these 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 races quite recently, so it's fresh in your mind. Hamilton getting a, a free pit stop uh, during a red flag and and actually, I say Alex will come to you first, but Luke, I remember you writing after Imola, I think in your top 10 or 10 things you need to know about that race, is you're like, this race is going to tip the season to come. This is going to be nip and tuck between the two. So, uh, nice prophecy, Thank you. by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, who wants to take this one first? I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first on that one. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, the, the, for some, I th- I've worked out now why I know so much about the Spanish Grand Prix and also the Hungarian Grand Prix that will come on later, just because I had Sky Sports F1 on in the background and it's uh, they've been replaying everything. Quite helpful for season review stuff. Um, but yeah, Imola, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this Imola race and you're, you're right, uh, Martin, Luke's Luke's 10 things we learned from that race really did I mean there, there's, a, there's an awful lot in that Imola race that sums up the season you've got Max Verstappen 
going wheel to wheel with Lewis Hamilton, who is the aggressor in the turn one incident in the first instance. It's Lewis Hamilton on pole position, which Max Verstappen has absolutely gifted him an off-track moment in qualifying, nearly put Perez on pole. Um, Perez, you know, he's not the fastest qualifier. We know that. Verstappen should be beating comfortably. Lando Norris was nearly on the front row, apart from those track limits. And Hamilton is basically gifted pole and just can't believe his luck. But at the start, Red Bull did a lot of work over the winter, got much, much better at their start to 2021. Verstappen aces the start. That was a theme of the season as well, although some of them did backfire, as I'm sure we'll come on to later. And Hamilton is like, right, I have to try here. Goes, you know, go to the outside line. And Max Verstappen, as is his right, because he was so far ahead and on that line, runs him out of rude, uh, runs him out of rude, runs him out of road, <laughs> but does it in a fairly rude and forceful way. Hamilton bounces over the curbs, gets some damage. So there we go. It's the first Right, this is the first real flashpoint. I think turn four at Bahrain was contentious in its own way, but this one is a bit different. Then you've got the rain. Verstappen is, is winning pretty comfortably. He's got a chunk ahead of Hamilton, who is sort of edging back, but then he goes off. He makes that big mistake as they lap George Russell, ends up in the gravel. And that was a real, sh- that's quite shocking moment because I don't think we'd seen that from Hamilton in, in, in many, many years, that kind of error. And um, certainly not in, you know, th- races that really, really matter. So that, that was a theme of the season. This was not Lewis's best year. Far from it, I think. Equally, there were moments, as we'll come on to later, where he was at the absolute best and he was comfortably better than anybody else. Um, but yeah, that that race also, we've got the massive crash between Russell and Bottas. Um, but also equally, it's something that I wanted to wanted to put, wanted, a case I wanted to make from having gone through this race, how good Charles Leclerc was in that race. And it's completely forgotten because of the red flag, which saves Hamilton, which, you know, gets him back on the lead lap. He's absolutely lucked into it there. Charges back to second, very good, but without the red flag, he's never in that uh, position. It wiped out a nailed on podium for Leclerc, who had driven away from Perez, who was falling off the road left, right and centre, even behind the safety car at one point, I think. And he was absolutely nailing it. Leclerc, Leclerc that, that one of the great lost drives of the year was Leclerc in at that stage. I think McLaren probably insistent that Ferrari had the third fastest car throughout, but didn't look like it at the start of the year. Leclerc just disappears and it's it's forgotten from history because the red fan safety car closes everything up. He doesn't have a radio. Norris gets by him. Hamilton gets by him and he comes fourth. But anyway, I just thought I thought that was worth uh, worth mentioning there. Maybe because Lando came third, improving on his fourth in Bahrain, maybe took some of that attention away from Leclerc. Luke, what do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. And I think that there was so much hype around Lando's performance that weekend. It was a very, very good display. Don't get me wrong. but And I think it was maybe a sign of sort of Leclerc's season as a whole. I think Leclerc's season has been criminally underrated. I think that, um, like I saw, I think the F1 fan power rankings were put out a couple of days ago and Leclerc's ninth for the year on there. And it's like, it's crazy. Like he's been so good this season. Um, and I think that Imola was, yeah, one of those races where, um, yeah, he was, he, he was fantastic. And I think that, but I think I would agree that it was that race was a good sort of microcosm of the season to follow. And I think that the other big incident was obviously the crash between Valtteri Bottas and George Russell that brought out the red flag. And Russell post-race gave some very spicy comments saying, oh, like, would Bottas have defended that way if it wasn't me? Sort of signalling, like, oh, I'm as in I'm the guy like, who might take his seat next year. What does that mean? Um, and that really it just stoked the fire. And I think that, yeah, Bahrain, it, it start, sort of got, got the season going. And yeah, we had that sort of track limits drama. Uh, Imola, I think there was more track limits jargon I'm just looking at my 10 things now and I've, I've said at race two how boring track limits are to talk about and that is again very fitting for the season to follow um but it was uh yeah I think it was it was just a weekend where you thought okay F1 2021 is really up and running now and it's it's getting uh pretty pretty feisty out there 
um, Luke, what you're saying about Leclerc being underrated. I think that's what Martin was saying earlier about that. It's the you're only as good as your last race thing is is really really true. I think a lot of people are seeing all those late podiums from Science, and I, I don't think I, th- I think Carlos Science was very very good, as I'm sure we'll come on to talk about later this year. Absolutely brilliant, but he had the rubber the green more later on in the year. And also, you know, people are like, well, he got more, way more podiums than Leclerc. How can you, you know, rate Leclerc higher or whatever? And it's like, well, yeah, but if you look at all his podiums, to a certain extent that he's only on the podium because of luck. Like, he's brilliant. He's done brilliantly to get in that position. But that's that's the reason why he ends up there, is that, you know, you needed something massive to happen ahead of him. And also, Leclerc's brilliance, much more of it came earlier on in the season. So that's why people are like, oh, well, maybe he wasn't, he wasn't as good. Well, he probably stayed, he stayed at the same level. Science just rose up to him. So anyway, that's, that's, yeah, that's my. I'd fully agree. And you look at the stats as well, it underlies it. Um, Leclerc outraced Science 14-8 this season and had two DNFs. And out-qualified him. Uh, yeah, out-qualified him, uh, 13-9. Um, Monaco as well, that was, I mean, that was, come on, like a nailed on podium, possibly even a win for Leclerc as well. I, I think win, yeah. So it's, it's things like that where you say, yeah, I mean, Science had a, bloody good season don't get me wrong but I think that Leclerc's season was better and I think that people who think oh like has Leclerc been sort of found out or beaten like no way like it's it's just speaks to how good both of them have been this year okay let's move on to Portugal and again maybe a bit of a of a forgotten race Alex what do you think because again Lewis takes the win Max and Valtteri second and third 30 seconds odd behind, but that gap is inflated because they both did a late stop, uh, whereas Lewis stayed out. Maybe not a classic race, Alex. What do you reckon in Portugal? It is and it isn't. I think the reason why it is a forgotten race, and you're right, Martin, is because it's a classic Lewis Hamilton race in that he doesn't get pole position. Valtteri Bottas does a very good job, gets pole position. Lewis then, it's, it's quite funny, there's a safety car restart. For, oh, Kimi Raikkonen being absolutely underwhelming in driving into the back of Antonio Giovinazzi <laughs> while he's changing the setting on his steering wheel. Oh my goodness yes. me, I was like, yep. Kimi, you're, you're letting down 12-year-old Alex who was watching F1 in 2003 and like you're just like, come on, man, how have you made that mistake? Anyway, um, the safety car restart and, and Bottas leaves it so late, Lewis is tucked in behind him. Lewis then gets such a good run on him, he goes to overtake Bottas, but that lets in Verstappen, who's like, well, you're not coming back across me in the slipstream, I'm going to go ahead of you. And there's a great pass that Verstappen puts in at the end of the pit straight. Um, but then it, it, there's there's two things, there's, there's a couple. Of, sorry, another extra element in that this is during Verstappen's early season run of making errors. And Verstappen fans will insist that he has been totally flawless this year, which is far from the case. But these errors really were adding up. You know, he had that little slip in the Portuguese Grand Prix coming out of the it's quite it's a deceptively tricky downhill corner that right hand penultimate corner just little little wobble and Hamilton doesn't think twice and Verstappen goes from bothering Bottas to being down in third Verstappen uh, Hamilton then you know outfoxes Bottas again and then just he's like right I'm in control now I'm doing my thing I've got the tyres where I need them and he wins and as you say Martin you know there's the the fastest lap drama which is kind of weird I because re- I really really disagree with the fastest lap bonus point it's just I just think it's it's one of those underwhelming rules like the you know not getting pole position for topping qualifying on a sprint race weekends but it did kind of make little boring races a bit more interesting I, I can kind of see the sort of value in it there and this is one of them and also it was a hilarious mistake from Mercedes in that they were going to pit Bottas because they're so far ahead because Perez is again ridiculously far off the pace so far off the pace that Red Bull leave him out to run long and Hamilton overtakes him going blue flags blue flags and Mercedes like nope you are racing him um, because he's, he's just so far away Hamilton's like well of course you know, you know of course I'm assuming I'm going to be lapping him but anyway the point is Bottas had enough time to pit to get that fastest lap to you know take something away from Verstappen but Mercedes do it one lap too early 
and give um, um, Red Bull the chance to pit Verstappen as well and he can do it on the last lap but again it's another early season error he goes too wide at that same spot the penultimate corner beyond track limits which as Luke says is a very very boring and tedious topic but in this case he's right he you know he he made a mistake there and he got punished for it and he was very furious about it afterwards but even though it was his own mistake so yeah you're right Martin it was a forgettable race um, I think purely because it was just oh Hamilton's done it again in very familiar circumstances Quick plug for our Top 50 Drivers podcast, which is out already. Kev makes uh, Kevin Turner makes a very strong argument for why uh, Max wasn't the best driver uh, this year. And he uh, and that's not to say he hasn't had a great year. He thinks he's still got just a few things to kind of shave off your rough edges, and then he will be just unbeatable. Luke, do you kind of agree that that was a stage when Max wasn't at his best? Yeah, I think that, and it was it was in qualifying as well. There was another another track limits track limits klaxon. Um, but yeah, he ran wide at turn four and had a lap deleted that would have been good enough for pole position. So it was uh, yeah, it was a real weekend where track limits was costing Max quite a lot. And and Red Bull, I think I seem to remember Helmut Marco grumbling quite a bit about it. But you're like, well, mm, rules is rules. Like track limits, yes, they are boring. But Alex, as he said, they are the rules, and that's how it works. And it's very simple. But um, yeah, I think it was probably the early part of the season when Max was probably getting into his groove a little bit more and I think just really realising that okay I'm in this championship fight like we've got the car this season to take the fight to Mercedes to battle and after spending pretty much his whole Red Bull career in either the third sometimes second fastest car and kind of thinking like okay on my day I can take the fight to them absolutely I know I've got the ability it's just my car that's not quite there now it was like okay well I've got everything at my disposal now I can do this and I think that yeah we did we did sort of maybe see that sort of early season Uh, yeah a few sort of uh, hiccups here and there but it was uh yeah, a Portimao, yeah, it's a weekend that yeah, I don't really, again, nothing really springs out to me apart from, oh, track limits. Like, And given it was so close to the previous year's race at Portimao as well, like my, my biggest memory of Portimao is like running the racetrack and that was over a year ago now. It's very strange. But uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah not a weekend that you uh, really remembered. But as Alex said, just vintage Lewis Hamilton of I've got the race, I'm going to control it. Simple. I'm surprised your takeaway memory isn't the traffic. That hell <laughs> I don't think I'm as scarred as you are by that. Oh, <laughs> Rightly God, so. That's but... Obviously, 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 not a problem this year because of no fans being there. Anyway, <laughs> oh, what a world! <laughs> yeah, thought <laughs> about uh, Luke... fans. That'd be that'd be not nice for nice for attending as as a journalist, thinking of only ourselves. Yeah, nice for getting in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, we'll stay with you, Luke, for the uh, Spanish Grand Prix because uh, we've heard already from Alex, uh, partly, but also because was the that? Spa- uh, the sp- it... Sorry, I'm not letting that slide. The Spanish Spanish. Grand Prix, Martin. Do, is that is that another? I can't Sean resist. Connery, no, no, no. It's just it's just a throwback to when they were painting the uh, uh, oh, the, yeah, uh, the, the pit the, lane. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, that's a great Easter egg, Martin. I yeah. Should... Wow. Hey, I wish you hadn't called me up on it because nice. then people would be like, "Is he an idiot or is he just?" Uh, I, I am well, probably I think, both. I think you know which camp I was in on that. <laughs> sorry. sorry, Martin. That's all right. No worries. Uh, so, so we'll go to Spain. And uh, so, Luke. Um, uh, so, Lewis again beating Max. A late charge to reclaim the lead. Turn one clash. Any particular standout memories from this one? You look back in this part of the season, you go, oh, it was all like, it seemed pretty, at the time it didn't seem chill, but now compared to how it finished, like it was quite, uh, yeah, it just seemed much more, I don't know, cordial, as I think I said earlier. But it, yeah, we absolutely was not. It was, again, another one of those, uh, yeah, those uh, th- those run-ins. And yeah, it did require uh, quite a mighty fight back from Hamilton, uh, obviously changing strategy. And it was, uh, it, it was, I think, Mercedes, what, 
playing the Hungary 2019 card again, where they sort of look at the situation they're in in the race and go, right, let's go for this strategy. Um, later in the year, over the Austin weekend, I had the pleasure of going up to um, Mercedes to uh, sit in their race race support room which is basically their nasa mission control imagine that where all the strategy and everything works and i met the guys like who are behind all these strategies who are running the numbers all the time and like they talk about spain as being one of those weekends where they were like yeah we we got the numbers and we were like guys we got to do this because we're not winning the race this way this way we do have a chance and it was just one of those strategies that they brilliantly pulled off um yeah some brilliant brilliant driving by lewis hamilton uh, but as alex alluded to earlier not entirely helped by his teammates that was poor from Bottas. That really was. That was. That was just like, what are you doing? Just get jump out of his way. It's just so easy. Anyway, but you can kind of understand it. That stage of the season, Bottas probably thought he was in a title fight. But um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed that Spanish Grand Prix. And actually, that first corner move from Max Verstappen, Martin, if, you, if, I, if I can share my big memory of that that race, I think I cheered when Max did his move. And just to be absolutely clear for idiots on Twitter, that does not mean I was. <laughs> wanting Max Verstappen to beat Lewis Hamilton or that I care which one of them wins is because it was interesting oh my god was that interesting that he did that that he came from so far back and he threw it down the inside and Lewis Hamilton went yeah no we're not crashing and he turned out of it and I think again the reason why it seemed so cordial at the time was because Hamilton wasn't forcing the issue it you know Verstappen didn't change throughout the year we knew he stayed at the same incredibly aggressive and I think needlessly aggressive level it was Hamilton that changed and that meant things boiled over and I don't think Lewis was wrong in changing I think he did he, he acknowledges it you know he, sp- he spoke about it later on in the year he said at a certain point I was so far behind I couldn't afford to back out of contact no matter what happens that made it really, really interesting so what what a move from Verstappen it certainly made for an interesting race and then as you say that strategy call from Mercedes I think you can go and watch it I think it's on F1 TV if you've got access to that you can see the whole story the decision making you can hear the, the, the guys that, that in um, back at Brackley as Luke as you said they, you know, the tactics team deciding this is what we're going to do Toto Wolff's like oh I need to know everything about it and I know where we are which goes up to James Fowles he's like yep yeah, we are doing this and it, and it worked brilliantly Alex, we'll stay with you and talk about Monaco. And again, probably when people cast their minds back, they're thinking about heartbreak for Leclerc. They're thinking about wheel nuts stuck on Bottas. And they might not necessarily put that in the context of the championship battle, which was Max walking away with victory, Lewis a bit absent in in seventh. So Monaco, Alex. Yes, this is my first Monaco Grand Prix on the ground. I've been there for for Formula E. It was uh, it was really interesting going back for the Grand Prix, but I still have. I think I've had the full Monaco experience. Not that I'm particularly keen on it, um, because it just again there, there wasn't. Not until you've had a Red Bull. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. Red Bull would always do a uh, floater home party on the Thursday night because obviously Fridays were a day off. But now they've changed the Monaco schedule. That's I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. So I don't know if you'll get what I would call the full Monaco experience. You're also assuming Autosport would be invited now. But anyway, it was under capacity because of the COVID rules. There was, it just wasn't the packed Monaco that you would normally see. But, you know, it was very, very interesting. It's a bit of a shame that because, the you know, they op- obviously they opened the track to all the cars so that the city can still function in the evenings. I wasn't, I wasn't that keen on running that track because you were literally just in traffic. Yeah. But I still, I walked around it and it's just fascinating. It's just really, really interesting to go and see the entire, the entire track. And it's, it's just, it's just really, really interesting to, to get a different perspective on it. But yeah, that weekend, Martin, as you, as you say, was, was, it was very interesting in terms of the context of the championship, because again, this was another weekend where Lewis Hamilton, as you say, was just absent. He couldn't get the tyres working, the softer tyres on those, you know, the, the, the smooth uh, streets. And it was Bottas that could. And how often have we been able to say that in the five years that they were teammates, that Bottas just nailed it. 
and was the lead Mercedes driver, whereas Hamilton was was frankly nowhere. And then when it came to the strategy calls that Mercedes made, they went very, very aggressive, stopped him first of anybody. It just didn't work out because Alpha Tauri covered them. And that's the reason why I think Leclerc would have won the race, because if Pierre Gasly can easily stop uh, an undercut on Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes, I don't think I don't think uh, Ferrari wouldn't have been able to stop Max Verstappen doing the same thing in the Red Bull, even though he was obviously in the fastest package. So yeah, yeah, and then and then Sebastian Vettel gets them both, and then Perez uh, gets all of them. So yeah, it was uh, Hamilton was furious on the radio; he just couldn't believe what was going on. But again, this just shows you it was not the ultimate vintage Hamilton year. I think he did improve and got on top of things later on in the year. But um, but yeah, it was it was certainly. Uh, I mean, it, it kicks off the Red Bull purple patch. They handed the win by by Leclerc's absence, but after that. They're, they're pretty untouchable for, for, for a good period. And I think it was a weekend where we saw Ferrari really show just how far they've come this season. It was on those, yeah, the, those um, in, in the low speed corners where the SF21 car really, really excelled. And all weekend long, they were like, they were quickest in practice on on, um, on Thursday and they kept saying, no, we're not reading much into it. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And even um, we had a chat with uh, Lauren Meckes, the Ferrari sporting director um, in uh, Abu Dhabi, sort of reviewing their season. And he was like, I still consider Monaco to be an outlier. Like, we don't quite know how exactly that all happened. But it was a weekend where, yeah, I think Ferrari, they were just so quick. And uh, I, I agree. I think, yeah, Leclerc would, would have won that race. And obviously his hoodoo, on home soil in Monaco, he's I don't think ever finished a race there. I want to say no, he's not out, not out of five. Christ, yeah. it's crazy. Like even in F two and everything like that. Like it's um yeah, it's a real it's it's really strange. But uh, yeah, it was a weekend that I think Ferrari still took a lot of positives from, even if it was such a, a heartbreaking one. Um, Leclerc still sees that as his biggest missed opportunity for this season. But um yeah, it was uh, it was again I think a weekend where yeah Verstappen did capitalise on, on circumstances. I thought that, yeah, Sainz and, and Norris, they put in really good displays as well to round out the podium. Uh, but also Valtteri Bottas, I mean, he he drove a brilliant race. Obviously, he would have been nailed on second had it not been for the uh, the issue at the pit stop that forced him to retire. So that was one of those races where you, um, yeah, it was it was, it was was hard, hard on Bottas because he actually drove it really, really well. Um, and again, it's not all too often this season we would rave about Valtteri Bottas' performances, but that's definitely one of them that, that stood out, even if it uh, ended up with zero points at the end. Luke, we described, Autosport described it as a feel-good podium, uh, Baku. Uh, in terms of the championship battle, kind of neutralised. Massive, uh, massive blow-up for for Max. Pirelli would later conclude, I think it was all to do with the way the tyre strategy were being run, no liability there. Uh, of course, Lance Stroll, uh, I think, had tyre problems as well. And then at the restart, if we thought uh, the, the, the final race of the year, a one-lap restart was extreme, uh, people might forget there was a, a standing start two-lap uh, at Baku ending. And of course, Lewis, let's address two things. The feel-good podium, as we called it, which was uh, Perez, Vettel and Gasly, uh, but also Lewis's magic button. For anyone who listens to this podcast that doesn't know what that is, why did he spectacularly lock up into that first corner at the restart and neither driver would score points? Yeah, it was a big opportunity missed. I think that this was, uh, as Alex said, this was sort of when Red Bull really in their their strongest point of the season and it looked like after this weekend that yeah, Verstappen was going to take another big step forward. Uh, Perez had been fantastic right the way through that race as well and uh, he was he was on for, for second place even before um, the, the, the late red flag. So it was a really mighty display from Red Bull before Max's uh, tyre tire blowout and then yeah uh, Lewis he for the restart he uh, did he flick them 
Flick or not flick the break magic? The Hamilton says this wasn't his fault, but I completely disagree with him because... Because <laughs> they, they the redesigned it been... afterwards, didn't they? So he wouldn't... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's like, well, if you hadn't done it before, Lewis, and you managed it at that time, that is still your fault. But I can kind of see where it's come from. But anyway, I do disagree with him. But yeah, basically, at the restart, as Perez comes across, because Perez couldn't warm his tyres because the car was basically about to fail from a hydraulic pressure leak, Hamilton gets a much better start. But as Perez jinks across, Hamilton reacts and accidentally brushes the button, the magic button. So he sends all his brake bias forwards, massively <laughs> locks up, and that's it. He's down to last. And he kind of gives up. I was kind of a bit shocked. He doesn't chase. He, he's comfortably beaten by the Hasses, so he could have passed and caught. But anyway. Wouldn't have got any points still. Feel good podium, agree? Not that we have favourites or anything like that, but it was just really nice to see, yeah, Vettel up there. I'll see it had been a tricky start with Aston Martin. Um, Yeah, really, really good result for him. Uh, Gasly as well, it would be his best result of the season. Uh, I loved um, Vettel's, uh, he meant to say congratulations to Perez over the radio uh, post-race and uh, said Feliz Navidad, which is Spanish for (laughs) Merry Christmas. I think I can claim credit for that feel-good podium. I feel like I used that in the race reports. Anyway, I, what I was... Oh, I thought you meant like you that. made it happen. No, no, no. <laughs> God, God, no, I, I believe me. Uh, we've been accused of so many things over the last few weeks, including being paid by Liberty Media for various things. I was like, I wish that was the case because, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have to save up for a new sofa. <laughs> Bloody hell is that wrong. But anyway, obviously I have no power whatsoever. But yeah, the feel-good thing is, I think I I think I did describe that in the, in the race report. Anyway, it's because, probably because I turned 30 that weekend in Baku so that's I was obviously riding a, a, a wave of, of joy and obviously not despair at being old perhaps somewhat controversially and with no disrespect to, to any of the races I think we should probably wrap France Styrian GP Austrian GP perhaps into one and perhaps Luke uh, we could look at that uh, I think it was the I think France was the first of the first triple header um, wrap those three together as a period of max Red Bull dominance yeah, completely. Like they just hit their stride so so well, and it really started in France when Red Bull did uh, play the old uh, Uno reverse card on Mercedes by doing exactly what Mercedes had done to them in Spain with the, with the two stop strategy, and it was uh, led to that. Yeah, that uh, great charge by Verstappen uh, through the closing stages. Perez playing the very dutiful teammate, moving out of his way uh, to ensure that he could uh, yeah absolutely fly through. Uh, he got Bottas, then got Hamilton uh, on the penult- penultimate lap. So I think that really set the tone. And again, France is a track that Mercedes has always gone so well at, and you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, here, again, Red Bull taking another big step forward, um, and uh, then we got to the two Austria races where it was just it was just Max dominance, like it was Max mania. The grandstands were absolutely rocking. I believe I'm right in saying they were the first races uh, where we had full fans back as well, or at least like large attendances. So it was uh, the, sec- the second one was definitely bigger, but I don't mm. think it was full. I think I think Silverstone does. It was the, the first full. like proper proper. Yeah. One. yeah, yeah. I could be wrong, but I don't think that second Red Bull was full. Anyway, sorry. But it was it was just max dominance. And I remember after the race, Mercedes were talking about the fact that they'd already like signed off on the final update for their car. And you're kind of thinking, well, that doesn't bode very well because Red Bull now have the pace advantage. I believe I'm right in saying Max's uh, points advantage. I'm just going to check it now. Was uh, 32 points, 32 points after the second Austria race. And that was as big as it got all season. And I remember at that point kind of thinking, well, Max has absolutely wiped the floor with the field over the two weekends in Austria. What what chance do we have now of 
the title race swinging back? Like, is he just going to build on this lead? Is he slowly going to disappear into the sunset and wrap this up as Hamilton has done in recent years with sort of two, three races to go, which of course would prove to be very, very wrong. But yeah, it was, uh, I think, the peak of Red Bull season where they just looked on another level to Mercedes throughout. There's two things about grouping these three races together, um, Martin. Um, one is, which I think uh, doing that, it does a massive disservice to the French Grand Prix, which... For a change, was was very good. Absolutely (laughs) brilliant. Yeah, it was like, who who could have predicted that? It was one of the races of the season, genuinely. Because Max Verstappen makes another small error, throws it away at the start, having brilliantly got pole position. Then he sort of, nobody, definitely not Mercedes, predicted that he'd uh, he'd undercut back ahead. He finally wins a Hungary 2019 scenario, and it was brilliant. It was very, very good. But also, the other thing about um, uh, the, the two Austrian races was Lando Norris, absolutely the star there. I think, obviously, obviously Verstappen was the star before I get people, you know, now you're hating on Verstappen. Of course, I'm not. He was just so good. He was in another league. But in the, in the, in the league where all the other teams and drivers were, Lando Norris was the star. Absolutely, you know, he didn't fight too hard in the first race, having in the steering race, having qualified very, very well there because he just knew that there was no point. But in the second race, after McLaren had improved the car, uh, a track that suits it very well because of the traction, um, you know, advantages in that car and, and, and it being good in that area and the straight line strengths it has. He got stuck in amongst, well, first of all, he very, very got stuck into Sergio Perez in a move that, hmm, not sure I agree that was a penalty considering um, considering everything that, that went on there. But then genuinely nearly beats the two Mercedes drivers on pace anyway. And, and Lewis Hamilton, again, I think there's enough, he damages his car basically. There's enough in there to say, well, it wasn't his fault, but equally he puts the car where the car goes, if that makes sense. So you could chalk that up as another down note and it certainly costs him points because Norris is so close Mercedes can't just let Bottas um, sit behind Hamilton they have to you know for the Constructors Championship and it pays them back later on in the season they have to take the 2-4 as opposed to the um, the 3-4 but if Norris wasn't there and being so brilliant Hamilton would have finished second even with a damaged car so yeah it's just it's just interesting the little the the little subplots of those races so for those keeping score French GP Verstappen Hamilton Perez, Styrian GP, Verstappen, Hamilton, Bottas, an Austrian GP, Verstappen, Bottas, and then Lando, uh, that third place. Was it was the Austrian one? Was that the the outpouring of love on the radio from Lewis about Lando? Was that Austria? Yeah, it was. As uh, as um, uh, as he, yeah. he he takes uh, a good ten or fifteen laps that Hamilton takes to get past Norris um, after after Perez has gone off and. Uh, um, Norris has got the penalty when he's running second. Verstappen just absolutely cleared off. Um, yeah, as Lewis gets as goes by, Hamilton says, um, oh, great driver, Lando. Which I think, it was interesting asking Norris about that afterwards because I think also he was so annoyed about that penalty. I think all his answers were sort of, had the sort of cloud of that hanging over them because he was so annoyed he didn't get second place. But yeah, he sort of, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting you put that to the drivers. They're, they're such competitive animals. They're not exactly going to go, oh my goodness, how wonderful it is to hear that from Lewis Hamilton. Norris is just like, cool, okay. Brilliant. All right. Well, look, we definitely can't uh, wrap Silverstone up into any any uh, group of races because we need to talk about that. Lots of interesting things about that Saturday sprint race, of course, at Silverstone. But it was the cops incident that after that race, when we did a podcast with our own Ben Anderson from GP Racing magazine, who has raced through that corner three wide, who says, and I think he agrees with, with Kevin, that a perhaps a wiser head on Verstappen would have realised there's going to be nowhere for Lewis to go. Luke, is that, with all the hindsight now of recording this after the season, is that a fair criticism of Max that he could have given more room or was he always going to race in there and try and close Lewis off? What do you think? Uh, 
both, I think that, yeah, he could have given Lewis more room, but as we saw throughout the season, he, he wasn't going to. He was going to make that as, as hard as possible. And yeah, Max, to him, it was his corner, as we saw from all the fallout that followed and for all of the comments by Christian Horner and Helmut Marco calling Hamilton uh, desperate, amateurish, uh, you don't stick a car up the inside at cops and all of that. It was, uh, yeah, it was very, I think this was the first major flashpoint of the season where things got got nasty and things spilled over and yeah it was it was a big big incident and I think that looking back even with hindsight I I think the way that the stewards handled it I think that was correct I think that Hamilton was predominantly at fault very marginally but I think he was more to blame than Max was for that incident but was not fully to blame again the stewards report said predominantly so did put some of the blame on Max um yeah and I think that everything that followed with the god the Alex album reconstruction on a filming day and everything it was uh, it was a it was a pretty crazy story and it sort of dominated F1 for a good couple of weeks where we were just sort of seeing everything go back and forth and the the aggression from Red Bull as well in in its uh, comments about Lewis and, and his move but yeah I think it was I think I agree and Max definitely yeah he, he could have left more room I mean Alex mentioned in Spain earlier where Hamilton saw what was going to happen and was like oh I better get out of this Max yeah okay it's much higher speed but he could have definitely left a bigger space for Hamilton but that wasn't going to happen like we know through this season how Max has been in those wheel-to-wheel fights like he's very aggressive and he makes very clear look I'm, I'm not moving aside um, and that resulted in a huge, huge accident. Alex, watershed moment? Absolutely, because of how much it changes the points gap. As, as Luke said, 32 points after Austria, massive. And Verstappen is walking to the title. But this, the, 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 what happens at Silverstone is the reason why he doesn't end up as the number one driver in our top 50 rankings in my F1 top 10. And why I, I still believe that was it was ultimately the difference in why he wasn't, for me, the best driver of the season. And it's because of what Lewis Hamilton has shown time and time again in his career, and he showed it in this season. If you want to win a world title there are moments where you have to go I have to back out of this I have to take 18 points and not 25 and bearing in mind Verstappen only what three or four races earlier has lost 25 points in Baku yes he was gifted Lewis Hamilton not winning 25 points in Baku by the magic button incident but he's got to think just on this one occasion I just need to leave, leave him that little bit more room now Hamilton equally has gone right I cannot afford to back out here I will He's going to go. We saw it in the sprint race. Hamilton makes a poor start from pole. Um, that brilliant pole position, that's ne- brilliant pole position that's never recognised by the history books. He knows the Red Bull's gone, so he has to. He has to go for the move, and he's not backing down. He knows Verstappen's not giving up. And if they collide in that instance, I think Lewis knows ultimately there's a greater risk of what happening to Verstappen happening. Even though had it not been red flagged, I think Mercedes was said afterwards there was enough damage on Hamilton's uh, left front that he would have had to retire as well. It's great they even get Bottas to come alongside and look for some see if he can see any damage. He can't do it under the safety car. He can't see it because obviously it's quite difficult to pick up those things. But anyway. I love the fact that Max is an extremely hard racer. He's an extremely fast racer. He's 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 very interesting. He's very very interesting, and he's absolutely brilliant. But there, he just needed to rein it back that little bit, and he it would have made things so much easier. I think he wins the title a race early if that doesn't happen. Can, I mean, okay, he wouldn't have known what was going to happen next as we come on to in Hungary. But yeah, it just he just needed to just add that little element to his game of this is how you win championships. You, you just have to just take sometimes that, okay, I've got to back out here. Even though, 
as Luke said, Hamilton was the the ultimate aggressor. Is that there in that instance, Max didn't need to match him with that aggression. Alex, I'll stay with you. I'm just the person that puts these podcasts together. I'm essentially a fan, even though I work at Autosport. Uh, you guys are journalists. You're independent. You report on what happens. You, you dig out the stories as well. And it's one of the reasons I, on the podcast after Silverstone, I invited on one of our Dutch colleagues because we we're part of a big organisation. I invited them on to talk about the difference between how the fans are starting to see it, because my feeling, uh, just as a fan, was that something's turned here, and I don't like how it's feeling. Social media, I mean, anyway, but still. Alex, did you get the same feeling that actually with that incident, just the two sets of fans, just something started to turn as well? It it didn't feel very nice anymore. Massively. I think, first of all, it wasn't a nice accident. You never like, you never, you never like to see a big crash like that, especially not when the driver has to go to hospital to get checked. I think Verstappen's even talked about, you know, he, he was told by the doctors, you know, you can't, you can't look at any TV screens or laptop screens for a few days because we just don't know how it's going to work, you know, with the, the threat of concussion and things like that. And ultimately he, he was fine. But equally, you know, it's, it's, it was not a nice incident. And the, the problem was, was that Red Bull, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just weird because Red Bull ultimately went from being the victim in that scenario to just coming across really badly and really needlessly. As Luke said, that whole get Alex Albon to recreate things, even though it added nothing, added no information whatsoever. Um, just it was just like, what, what, what are you, what are you doing here? But it was like even during the red flag, when they didn't know how the restart of race was going to turn out, you've got. Horner's ridiculous comments about you don't put a wheel upside at the inside of cops. I'm sorry, what even earth are you talking about? Some of the best passes in, in F1 history at that track have come at that corner. It's, that's, that's totally silly. And then you've got Helmut Marko saying Hamilton should be banned for an incident where he was only found to be predominantly at fault. It's like, come on, what are you doing here? But that has a knock-on effect because of the way that the world is now. You know, these hot takes... Uh, it blows up on social media and it makes people, it makes it upsets me because I think people totally overreact to them, but you know, it makes people very cross and very angry. And and it was a, an emotionally charged incident and there needed to be some cooler heads equally later on Red Bull, even more incensed by Lewis Hamilton and the way he celebrated and the way Mercedes celebrated. And I can kind of, I can kind of see that their point there, you know, if you've got a driver in hospital, you'd be upset at seeing the rival celebrating. But how do we know the Mercedes knew that that's what had gone on? I don't, you know, you, you can't you can't assume these things, but you're right. It did take a nasty turn. I think contact in those conditions is always going to make that happen. It just needed a bit of a, bit of a, bit of breathing, but it's a super close championship fight. I think you got some genuine reactions there. And it was, as I said, I just, it, it was all very, very interesting. And Luke, you know, you guys have both got big social media followings, but um, Luke, you notice on your social media, uh, people don't uh, always say the nicest stuff, right? Yeah, and it's funny you say that actually, because um, <clears throat> yeah, even last night I was um, I was uh, doom scrolling, which probably wasn't the best thing, and I found I found actually something <laughs> like a very in, and it's not related to Silverstone, but just in the wake of our recent um, coverage, a very very personal comment directed at me, and I it really and it really really hit a sore point, and I like I really woke up today and I was just like. I'm, I've, and it, it upsets you. Like, you don't want to see that abuse on social media. And I think that that obviously, I mean, that's a consequence of everything that happened in Abu Dhabi. But it was, Silverstone was, yeah, the first time it happened. And it ultimately, there was then that um, fallout of racist abuse that was put towards Lewis Hamilton that was shocking, abhorrent, and just has no place in society and our sport and in, in this world. And it really just was awful to, to see at points and we saw the F1 community come together condemn the comments that were being made by 
these people hiding behind avatars on social media, Red Bull, Mercedes, FI, F1, they all released a joint statement condemning it. The thing is, you've got to remember when you put out comments into the world and you say things in the heat of the moment, what what is it fueling? Like, what is actually, what is the bigger picture? And it was, yeah, it just really was where the title race turned nasty. And we saw these comments being put out by Red Bull um, about Hamilton's driving standards and everything like that. And in the end, it led to, obviously, they pushed for the right of review that was heard in Hungary and ultimately thrown out because their only bit of evidence was we've got Alex Album to recreate the line. The steward said that's neither significant nor relevant at all. And Mercedes came out and they said, we hope this puts an end to the targeted um, work by Red Bull senior management to uh, dishonour the good name of Lewis Hamilton. And I think that's not quite in those words, but to that effect. And yeah, I think it was, I think that, there, there are two very separate issues in terms of the comments Red Bull was making and the, and the racist abuse uh, that was coming out of the social media either. But it, it's just, yeah, it was just really a time of the season where you're just looking and you're going, my God, like, what, what is wrong with people? Like, why are people making these comments? Why are people getting so upset? And we know we're passionate, we're fans, we want to support our drivers, we want to see the best in the world going head to head. And we don't want to see accidents like that. But they do happen, and ultimately you do have to look at things with perspective and take a bit of a step back. And yeah, it was just a point in the season where you went, we need to call off, we need to just take five. And thankfully we were so close to the summer break that it was one more race and we could take a month just to just to chill out. But it was, uh, yeah, yeah, a real, like, you just looked at it and it was a taste of things to follow. Because I was listening to another podcast about American football that I listened to, and the, and the, and the guy, the host on that, um, he, he, runs a, he runs a website as well. And he's like, you know, sometimes when people kick off and get angry, I love it because it, they care. It shows that they care. And it means that, you know, it's helpful for our businesses. And, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for people not caring. It's when it crosses that line and you've got people, I mean, not, the thing that makes me so mad about social media is the anonymous cowardice. I mean, we've had at Autosport people creating accounts to deliberately to troll us and to deliberately upset us. That's what's awful. And then when you add in, the racist abuse and the you know everything else and all of that it's just like come on just like it, it makes me weep for the way humanity has gone but equally when people I, just, I like the fact that people are interested like do you know what I mean that that's what's key as well so anyway, just to, just because to, I know I'm I'm always on a downer about social media it's because <laughs> I don't like that anonymous cowardice element of it but I just wanted to make that point anyway sorry go ahead Martin. all right okay so one more race before the summer break a chaotic uh start Bottas makes a mistake, breaks too late, sends Norris into Verstappen. Esteban Ocon uh, avoids the turn one chaos uh, and picks up his first win. In terms of the the title battle here, um, it was a a, a net second because Vettel was uh, disqualified. It was uh, Ocon, Vettel, Hamilton, uh, but uh, but Lewis, a net second on that. So, Luke, uh, as we head into the summer break um, with Hungary again, with Lewis picking up big points... A, a turning point again for, for for kind of Lewis's comeback. It was, yeah, and again, it was another missed opportunity, but out of um, Verstappen's control, he lost the lead of the championship. He was trailing by eight points going into the summer break, which, uh, given he'd uh, been what thirty-two in front just two races before, was a, a pretty crazy turnaround. But it was, it was again one of those races that it was, it was out of Verstappen's control that he just got caught up in that turn one instant, got left with damage, and that meant that he couldn't do any uh, any better than ninth once the race restarted. Um, it just yeah it's just one of those crazy races that we're going to look back on for years to come we're going to remember 
everyone diving in uh, for the restart to make the switch to Slicks. Mercedes keeping Hamilton out, so he was the only person on the grid as the five red lights went out. Someone put that on Twitter the other day and was like, this happened this year, and it's it's crazy to remember and think about. Oh, um, yes! Like, it, <laughs> that wasn't even yeah, in my yeah, notes. It's insane. Like, I Absolutely it. insane. And then we had um, George Russell then like looked like he was going to lead the race for Williams, but then had to give the places back. Then you had Ocon and Vettel in that race-long fight. You had Hamilton fighting through the field. Fernando Alonso then getting his elbows out and making it so, so hard for Hamilton to get ahead, winning Esteban Ocon the race, really. Um, yeah, and it was just a really... Just one of those weekends where it was F1, like, on... Just F1 times 10. Like, it was just crazy how much madness had happened. And I think similar to how Baku was a, a feel-good podium, I think that after all of the toxicity there had been in F1 in the couple of weeks leading to Hungary, I think to go into the summer break with a new race winner... Uh, I mean, the scenes of Ocon celebrating, obviously parking his car up at the side of the track and having to run down the pit lane, a huge hug with his, his press officer and everything. Like, it was just really, like, heartening scenes. So I think that was a really cool way for F1 to enter at summer break. But the title battle, it had completely flipped the picture from a couple of weeks before. Yeah, and Max Verstappen should have come away from Silverstone Hungary with a lot more than five points to show. It's crazy just how things turned around. But it set things up, again, just so finely for that second half of the season. Can I add in a couple of quick thing, quick things on Hungary? One, I think, um, yeah, mistake is generous for Bottas at Turn 1 there, Martin. I think gaff, probably probably a better word. But actually actually having, because of, as I said, on my, on my um, you know, having Sky Sports F1 on in the background as I was doing my season reviews, actually, the the far greater error was Lance Strolls. Um, Bottas is actually a bit unlucky because of the way Norris and Perez come around him. He's got, he backs out and it's sort of, you can th- see things unsettle things and you can kind of understand why a moment or two later he makes that massive, massive gaff. But Strolls got no, excuse he just absolutely messes it up and then just wipes out (laughs) this guy's right I've got to go inside or outside and if he goes outside he takes out Ocon and changes the course of history but he doesn't he goes to the inside I mean he's at such poor driving for Lance Stroll there but anyway obviously tricky circumstances but whatever Um, the other thing there is is actually with the benefit of hindsight we can now look back on this race as a key moment in why Lewis Hamilton lost his championship because yes Fernando Alonso held him up magnificently and brilliantly and thrillingly to help Esteban Ocon win the race because of the speed at which Hamilton was coming back but also if Mercedes had got the tyre call right and they weren't the only ones to do this all the teams sent the cars back out after the red flag on the intermediates but it had dried so much because it is extremely hot at that time of year in Hungary when it's not raining if they'd sent him out on selects he wins that race comfortably and they acknowledged afterwards that was the biggest mistake was was not putting the right tyres on there at the start which which meant he wouldn't have you know he, maybe he still would have taken the start solo but he, at least he would have been on the right tyres OK and there endeth the first part of our 2021 Formula 1 review on the Autosport podcast well make sure you tune in again for part number two you think the first hour has been spicy Wait till we get on how the title was decided. Uh, well, that will be on the air Monday 27th of December. If you are listening to this as soon as we publish, maybe you're catching up in the in-betweeny bit uh, between Christmas and New Year, in which case both parts should be available for you to download and listen to right now. Check out autosport.com for any breaking news over the holiday period. Indeed, lots of analysis going into what happened this year in all forms of motorsport as well and check out our 184 page double issue our christmas edition always a bumper edition of the autosport magazine on the shelves of your supermarkets when you're in to do your shopping have a look on the magazine section grab yourself an autosport because it's 
one of those things that I'm sure between Christmas and New Year, uh, you might want to escape the family or the kids or something like that and uh, and just get your head into a magazine. 124-page double issue and 60-page special Formula One review. Check out a picture of Max Verstappen. You won't be surprised to hear on the front page of Autosport. That's our first part of the podcast and we'll be back very soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Here, you'll join a community where diversity equals vitality, where support and empowerment lifts spirits and propels ideas forward. Fearless, innovative, connected. UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.